Good morning, everyone. I was a little bit shocked when I received the uh, teaching series, and it said Judy Moore Gold Digger, which is the title for today's uh, talk. Uh, but it does go on under that, thankfully, to say, when money is our God. When money is our God. And uh, we're looking at a passage today, which I think is quite a tragic one, um, because it holds up a mirror, not only to the rich young ruler, but actually it holds up a mirror, if you like, to the age that we live in. It holds up a mirror to the lie that perhaps we have all believed. And we might say, well, as Christians, we stand apart from that, we live differently to that, and certainly our hope is that we're on a journey that is sacrificial and that is surrendered. But I feel an element of pain when I look at this guy, this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. And he comes first and foremost with a little bit of self-promotion, doesn't he? He comes and says, I've led a really good life up until now. How are you going to bless me? And isn't that really, in a way, the way that our world speaks? You know, I'm doing all right. How is God, how is the kingdom going to bless me? And it's quite hard for us to unlearn some of that language, and we're bombarded with it. Uh, if you look at uh, something Mike Tyson says, uh, quite a sad quote from him, money is my God. If you think God will help you, then quit your job and see how much he cares. Now, um, that really, in a way, is a very extreme view, but nevertheless, he's saying, actually, you know, if you, if you don't hang on to the money that you have, you're, you're, you're scarpered, really. And uh, that's the opposite of this passage, the very opposite, that Jesus says, in a way, whatever we lose for him, we can't outgive God. And we might think, well, it's a contemporary thing, uh, it's the age that we live in, but actually, when we track down the years, money has always been a huge distraction in the life of the human heart. Uh, a little quote here, money is the god of our time and Rothschild is his prophet. Um, the Bible speaks a lot on this area and we're going to be looking at it over the next few weeks. Jesus speaks probably more about our attitude to the poor than almost anything else in his scriptures and yet sometimes it's a thing that we sideline uh, but it's clearly extremely important to Jesus. Uh, here we see in the New Testament in 1 Timothy, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And again, there's compassion in that, isn't there? There's a sadness to it about what has happened to us. And then a very satirical one, Robin Williams saying, cocaine is God's way of telling you you have too much money. And uh, we may smile, but we know that that's been true for so many uh, people, even just recently, that we might look up to, that we might think have it all. And then actually the money starts to spiral into all sorts of abuses uh, that destroy people. So how do we know then when money has become God? The Beatles sang, the best things in life are free, but you can keep them for the birds and the bees. I want my money, that's what I want. And that's just one of many, many songs that we will have going around maybe in our heads, both contemporary and classic, that actually get into our psyche sometimes. We breathe it in and it's hard for us to disappear from it or extricate ourselves from it. What I love in this passage, there's one particular verse that stands out for me more than any other, and I don't know if it's true for you when Andy read it, but the one that gives me hope in this area and reassures me is Jesus looked at the man and 
loved him. It doesn't say judged him. How many of us, probably, if we read this passage in our own hearts, almost put, judged him there? Jesus looked at the man and judged him. No. Jesus looked at the man who'd come there, perhaps a bit puffed up, saying, I've done it all right. How's God going to bless me? How am I going to get eternal life? I've lived a good life. How's God going to get me into his kingdom, if you like? And Jesus knows he's got it wrong. He knows, if you like, he's listened to the wrong message. But he looks at him with love. And at the start of this series, I hope that you hear us when we say that our heart in looking at this subject of money is that. That actually there is freedom when we surrender our finances totally to the kingdom. There is freedom. And Jesus' heart is for this man. That's why he looks so sad. And the man goes away sad. There are no winners, if you like, in this particular meeting that we know about. Actually, there's a real tragedy and a sadness to it. And I don't know you this morning. I don't know all of you. I know many of you. But it might be that you feel a little bit like this guy. You feel, do you know what? I've lived a good life. I've kept all the commandments. But I, I need to see your blessing. And sometimes what we don't hear is that the blessing lies the more that we give over to God. That actually, in Luke, when we look at this version, uh, Jesus is very clear. He says, sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourself money belts which don't wear out because there is an unfailing treasure in heaven for you. And what this guy hasn't got, there are two things, if you like, that perhaps have become boundaries for him or barriers for him. The first is self, isn't it? That actually he's living in the here and now, he's living for himself, and he's trying to be good, he's saying, I've sort of honoured things, I've not lived a bad life particularly, but if you like, his purse, his wallet, his finances, he says he's got a lot of money, we hear he has, are not surrendered over to Jesus. He could come to Jesus and say, I have received so much in this life, what can I give in return? That could be what he comes to Jesus to say, but actually it's the opposite of that. He says, I've given so much. I've been such a good man. What, what's now in it for me? And actually it's the opposite of that that Jesus gently wants to speak to us. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. If you like, I'm trying really hard to be a good person in every other way. I know for myself that actually some people say the conversion to your wallet is the first thing that happens when you come to Christ. That wasn't true for me. I grew up in materialistic Surbiton uh, and uh, very happy and uh, fairly, you know, comfortable home at least. And actually I would say it was one of the last things and still will be something I struggle with today, that I like pretty things. Those of you who know me will know that's true. They can be a distraction for me. Uh, but I also know the joy of the surrender of giving. As we look at the surrendered life in all of our lives, the more that we can learn this, that actually we can't outgive God, then the more free we can become. So sometimes the conversion in our bank account is last, sometimes it's first. But Jesus says it's tragic when we put it off because we are living for the now and not for the not yet. The other second sad thing about this man is that he is not really looking at the consequences of his actions now in eternity. And again, that's the world that you and I know, isn't it? 
That is the world that we know, that actually it's all about I want it and I want it now. As the Beatles said, I want my money, that's what I want. So Jesus looks at the man, this man who's come earnestly to see how he can kind of perhaps even buy his way or live his way righteous into the kingdom. And he looked at him and loved him. And then he said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Lay down your life and then you will really see what I'm able to do. And in a way, he may as well be saying, and I was thinking about this yesterday when I was looking at the passage again, he is saying, you can trust God. Now, you might look at that and think, well, that's a little bit of an odd subtext to the the, uh, text. But actually, he knows the Father, and he knows that we can trust him, that we can trust him with everything. So anything that we give away actually in blessing others, is is going to be a reciprocal blessing in our lives. Some of you will remember the story uh, a few years ago, I think it was about four years ago now, uh, when I met with some women at Sizewell Hall down now on the uh, beautiful East Anglian coast. And um, if you remember, there was a lady there, I I talked about her quite at length, who uh, sat through all of the uh, talks looking furious and cross, kept walking out in the middle and then coming back in again, and looked like she hated me. Possibly she did. Um, But uh, she certainly wasn't uh, in any way enjoying the teaching. And on the penultimate session, she said to me, this means nothing to me at all. You need to know, Judy, that I do not feel the love of God in any way. And everything you're saying is just noise, because I I can't feel it. I can't experience it. She said, I was abused uh, both as a child and then in my marriage, and she had shut down the ability to accept love in any shape or form. And to cut a long story short, and this is really the reason for retelling it, um, in the final communion service, I had prayed over her that she wouldn't leave without once and for all knowing that God fundamentally held her as his treasure and loved her. And uh, I was looking at my notes thinking, I can't see this happening somehow, and doubting myself, doubting God perhaps, in his ability to do the work that I knew he needed to do. And uh, as we were singing, there was a beautiful 18-year-old student girl who looked at her watch and thought really how much she loved it. If you like, it became a distraction because it had a little dove embossed in a mother of pearl on it, and it was her most treasured possession uh, by far. And she just looked at it and felt God saying, would you give that up for me? And she was like, yeah, of course, you know, I'd give anything up for you. And she felt that she had to go over, and in a room of 200 people, who did she choose? The woman who'd been scowling, who'd been grumbling, who'd looked unhappy, and she just didn't know her. But she went over, got up, quite an act of courage, walked across the room. And I saw all this almost in slow motion. I wasn't quite sure what was happening, but I knew that God was doing something. And she gave her this watch, and she said, I just thought I should give you this, because God says, you are his most treasured possession. This is my treasured possession, and you are his. I was contemplating this because she could have thought, oh, not that God. (laughs) You know, I I don't mind doing my tithe. I don't mind doing, you know, all the other stuff you're asking, but not the watch. Have you ever felt like that? You know, Uh, there, there may be things that we're still hanging on to. And that could have been her. 
But actually what happened there and then, fundamentally in the spiritual realms and there in that room, she said as she left that place, I can never deny that if you like, God crossed the room to show that she was his treasured possession. So actually, when we receive this love, this is the bit when we see, we see this man standing there, one thing you lack, he hasn't understood grace. He hasn't understood it. One thing you lack, his understanding of the grace of the kingdom, this overwhelming grace that we received, the grace that actually touched that girl's heart. And I met the lady two years ago at Spring Harvest France. She came up to me and... Uh, I literally didn't recognize her. Now, I'm not always brilliant at recognizing everyone, but she came up and she said, you don't remember me, do you, Judy? And I said, oh, I am struggling a bit. And then she just pointed to the watch. And you could do all the makeovers in the world, but you wouldn't see the beauty that was in her face just two years on from knowing and accepting that she was and is Jesus' treasured possession. And actually, it's from that place that we are his treasure he considered us worth dying for because we are his treasure. How can we not then want to give as much as we are able and then some in return? Because this is a passage, if you like, about extravagant love, but also extravagant surrender. Jesus speaks then on the subject of money because he knows what does us the most good. He wants our freedom. He understands the freedom to give, and we see that across all of his life. Um, just over Christmas, I don't think I've caught up with you on this, I, I certainly told the guys in Moseley, um, but uh, my dad now has a whole team of carers coming in, lots of different people, and uh, he has one that he particularly likes called Sabira, uh, who comes in in the mornings, and she came for the first time just after Christmas to meet with him, and she said, you need to know, Mr. Moore, that I am very excited to meet you, and I have four boys at home who are equally excited about me meeting you today. And I was overhearing all this in the kitchen, thinking it's a bit full on, you know, I mean, he's lovely, don't get me wrong, but uh, there seems to be a lot of excitement about it. And she said, we've been reading your notes, I've read your notes, and I understand that for many years you were a samurai. Now, <laughs> either my dad's been very quiet about this past or she's read that wrong. My dad was actually a Samaritan for over 50 years and uh, one of the longest serving Samaritans in the country at one stage. Uh, so he was a Samaritan. But she thought from the notes that she was coming to me to summarize. So I said, Dad, you've got to milk that to your advantage, I reckon. We'll get the best care in Surrey. You know, have, your, have your, your spear out, your costume on, and whatever. But if you've met my dad, he's not particularly like a warrior. Or maybe he is spiritually, but he's certainly very brave. But um, it's kept me smiling over some uh, quite tricky uh, weeks with Dad. But it's also made me think that actually a lot of our living for God depends on our view of what he's really like. You know, if you're here today and you think, why do Christians go on about money? You know, we put the God channel on, sometimes it is quite offensive, isn't it? Because it's too much, it's in your face. But the reason that Jesus speaks about money is for our freedom. And it's because he knows the God of love, the God of grace, the God of eternal life that wants so much, longs for us to be free and knows how hemmed in we are, how small our world becomes, how much our world shrinks when money is our God. 
Every time we actually hold on too tight, when we make decisions that are about money for us, then there's something of the kingdom that shrinks in us. I am speaking to a friend uh, called Tim who's been writing a book, and in that he's been asking, it's called The Killer Question in interviews, a little bit like The Apprentice, you know, when they get to the dreadful interview round, I always feel really sorry for them, I think they're pretty brutal in that round, Um, but they say, if you have one killer question that you'd ask uh, somebody coming to work for you, and they interview the 10 top CEOs uh, that they can find about what would your killer question be? And what's quite interesting in the narrative is many of them say it is not the question it would have been 10 years ago when I first got this job. That actually now they're CEOs, what they really, really want to see is something servant-hearted. And so actually some of the questions that they might put is, why do you want to work here, was one. And they said that actually nine times out of ten that people just say, because it will do this for me, it will do that for me, it will further this, it will further this. And actually what they're looking for is someone who says, actually, this fits with the vision for my life and I want to actually be part of it. Somebody else doesn't even really have the killer question to the person they're interviewing. The CEO of Tupperware, remember Tupperware? It's still around. Uh, The the CEO of Tupperware says, it's not so much about the killer question I asked the person opposite me. I asked the question of the driver that picked them up from the station or the airport. I asked my receptionist and I asked my personal assistant. How were they treated by them? That actually, what the world really is craving in many ways is a different way to live, is a way that is not about self, but is about service. And we have that modelled here in the leadership of Jesus. So he goes on to, really in the end of the passage, to uh, talk about something that may have kept us confused for a long time. It certainly has me, so bear with me. Children, he says, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, I don't know about you, but I think probably about maybe, I don't know, maybe about 15 years ago, I heard teaching on this that I thought was a revelation. We've now heard it isn't true, so I'm quite disappointed about that. Um, But I heard the narrative that actually this was about a gate, and the gate was called the needle. Did anyone else hear that? And the camel had saddlebags. Oh, yeah, there's quite a few of us that were uh, taught this. The The camel had had saddlebags on either side, and Jesus was basically telling a a clever thing, if you like, in saying that the camel couldn't get through the needle, this gateway in the wall of the city, uh, unless he lost his saddlebags. And I remember thinking, that's good. Yeah, no, I get that. So there's things I've got to take off, there's things I've got to let go of, and then I can, you know, enter into the kingdom. That makes sense to me. But actually reading commentaries now and really kind of getting my head around it, I see that actually that wasn't the case. That actually Jesus' teaching is actually more extreme than that. Much more extreme. What he's quoting is an old Jewish proverb, only in the proverb it was an elephant. (laughs) So that's even bigger, isn't it? Uh, An elephant that couldn't get through the eye of a needle. But it was actually in Jewish teaching, in the first five books of the Bible, there was the the Pentateuch, and uh, there was a reference to the fact that actually it was impossible uh, for an elephant to go through the eye of a needle. And so what, in a way, he's saying is, you might know the Proverbs, some of them would have done, but he's saying it's impossible. He's not saying it's okay as long as you throw off some stuff 
which was what I believed, but actually it's saying, surrender it all. Because whilst money is God, God isn't. Whilst money is God, God isn't. So it's quite an emphatic statement. And it's hard for us in the West. It's hard. But actually it's worth it. As we look at uh, what he goes on to say, Jesus reassures us again and again that we cannot outgive this kingdom. We cannot outgive God. Think of our lovely girl handing over the watch and the repercussions in that woman's life and beyond in years to come. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come. That actually, whatever we're let going of, and it is costly to follow Jesus, it's free, but it costs us everything. The kingdom of heaven is free, but it costs us everything. It costs Jesus everything. And uh, it's hard for us to understand, but I do believe that it's a work of the Holy Spirit. That actually, as this man goes away, his face falls, he's sad because he has great wealth. And wealth remains his God. Self remains on the throne. Barclay talks in his commentary about this in Luke. He talks about a woman called Edith who lived in a small world, bound up by Edith. To the north, to the south, to the east and west, the walls were Edith. A bit sorry for Edith, I don't know who she was. Um, but we could put our own name there. That sometimes our world shrinks because it's about us. And the minute that we say, no, this, actually my life is about you, Jesus, we put a different name there. And the walls of ourself start to come down. The Romans had an old proverb that money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. So giving is joy, it's treasure, it's worship. The inner essence of worship is the treasuring of God as infinitely valuable above everything else. The outer forms of worship are the acts that show how much we treasure God. Therefore, all of life is meant to be worship. Because God said, whatever we eat, drink, whatever we give, all of life, <clears throat> all of life, is to show how valuable the glory of God is to you. Money and things are a big part of life. And therefore, God intended them to be a big part of our worship, since all of life is worship. So the way we worship God with our money and our possessions is to get them, to use them, to lose them in a way that shows how much we value his kingdom. Just as I love the fact that uh, Jesus says he loved him, there's a, a, a different translation in Luke where he says do not be afraid little flock isn't that lovely that's how he starts to speak about this business of giving and I would just say as we look at our giving over the next few weeks as we look at our lives being surrendered to him do not be afraid flock <laughs> because actually God can be trusted he is good he can be trusted and the resonance of what we do here now echoes in the whole of eternity in the whole of eternity. If you give to a child to sponsor them now, imagine meeting them, even if you don't get to meet them in this life, in eternity, and seeing the difference it made in their life. Let's pray together.
was just a little reading that I discovered last week we can focus on. Money can buy medicine but not health. It can buy a house but not a home. It can buy a companion but not a friend. It can buy entertainment but not delight. Food but not an appetite. A bed but not sleep. Money can buy a crucifix but never a saviour. It can buy a good life, but not eternal life. Lord, as we look at our hearts today, thank you that you look on every person here and you love them. Thank you that your heart is for our freedom and that you've called us to be ministers, to be worshippers, to be stewards of all that you've given, all the blessings that each of us have. We hold them before you now afresh. We surrender them to you. And Lord, we know that our bank balance, our wallet, our purse reflects our heart. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would work in our hearts afresh today, that by the power of your spirit, you would increase generosity in us, you would increase love in us, that because you've been so gracious with us, we would graciously, abundantly give, freely and lightly, for your kingdom's sake.